I'm mad as hell. I woke up wanting to see the world burn down yesterday because I'm tired of seeing black men die. He casually put his knee on a human being's neck for nine minutes as he died like a zebra in the clutch of a lion's jaw. And we watch it like murder porn over and over again. So that's why children are burning to the ground. They don't know what else to do. You're talking about human beings. There's not such a thing as a monolithic wall or, you know, some abstraction called the Negro problem. These Negro boys and girls who at 16 and 17 don't believe the country means anything that it says and don't feel they have any place here on the basis of the performance of the entire country. that white nationalism and that white supremacist mindset over arresting, charging, and helping to convict four officers who killed the black man. That is the reality of what we're dealing with. This is not just a few cops doing things across the country. This is not a good cop versus bad cop situation. This is Ahmaud Arbery being shot down by white men on the streets of Georgia 
Breonna Taylor being killed in her home. Mm -hmm. This is in New York City where we were until freedom. We were just in New York fighting the police officers who in the name of social distancing were damn near killing black young people on our streets. Mm -hmm. This is a coordinated activity happening right. across this nation. Mm -hmm. And so we are in a state of emergency. Mm -hmm. Black people are dying in a state of emergency. We cannot look at this as an isolated incident. And it is the responsibility of us to make this better. Right now, we don't want to see one officer charged. We want to see four officers prosecuted and sentenced. We don't want to see targets burning. We want to see the system that sets up for systemic racism burnt to the ground. days is one of them when you wonder what your role is in this country and what your future is in it how precisely you're going to reconcile yourself to your situation here and how you're going to communicate to the vast heedless unthinking cruel white majority that you are here. I'm terrified at the moral apathy, the death of the heart which is happening in my country. These people have deluded themselves for so long that they really don't think I'm human. I had basis on their conduct, not on what they say. And this means that they have become in themselves moral monsters.
CNN, Ted did a great thing. I love CNN, I love Cartoon Network, but I'd like to say to CNN right now, karma's a mother. Stop feeding fear and anger every day. Stop making people feel so fearful. Give them hope. I'm glad they only took down a sign and defaced a building and they're not killing human beings like that policeman did. I'm glad that they only destroyed some brick and mortar and they didn't rip a father from a son. They didn't rip a, fa a son from a mother like the policeman did. When a man yells for his mother in duress and pain and she's dead, he is essentially yelling, please God, don't let it happen to me. And we watch that. But we have to be better than this moment. We don't need an officer that makes a mistake once, twice, three times, and finally he kills a boy on national TV, and the next thing you know, the country is burning down. We don't need a dumbass president repeating what segregation is saying. You start looting, we start shooting. I hope that we find a way out of it, because I don't have the answers, but I do know. We must plot, we must plan, we must strategize, organize, and mobilize. Quicker cap, that cap. How much dough can you push to me? Quicker cap, that cap. No good for community. Make off picket shots. 300 men will search for me. My brother get packed. And don't know I hear the sound. Don't know I hear the rounds. Ooh, sound. Don't know I hear the shouts. Ooh. Shouts. Don't know I hear a sound Don't know I disturb the peaceful riots Don't know I disrupt Nirvana Don't know I wanna blow the high They are enraged and there's an easy way to stop it Arrest the cops Charge the cops Charge all the cops Not just some of them Not just here in Minneapolis Charge them in every city across America Where our people are being murdered Charge them everywhere That's the bottom line Charge the cops Do your job do what you say this country is supposed to be about, the land of the free for all. It has not been free for black people, and we are tired. Don't talk to us about looting. Y'all are the looters. America has looted black people. America looted the Native Americans when they first came here. So looting is what you do. We learned it from you. We learned violence from you. We learned violence from you. The violence was what we learned from you. So if you want us to do better, then damn it, you do better. This morning, I woke up in a curfew. Oh God, I was a prisoner too. Yeah, could not recognize the faces standing home.
miss to me. No fear. I mean, really, no fear. If I if I could have that half of my life, no fear. About the children have no fear. That's the closest way. That's the only way I can describe it. That's not all of it. But it is something to really, really feel. Like a new way of seeing. Like a new way of seeing something. Declaration. He has sent hither swarms of officers to harass our people. He has plundered our, ravaged our, destroyed the lives of our, taking away our, abolishing our most valuable, and altering fundamentally the forms of our in every stage of these oppressions we have petitioned for redress in the most humble terms our repeated petitions have been answered only by repeated injury we have reminded them of the circumstances of our emigration and settlement here taken captive on the high seas to bear I woke up and I started checking all the news feeds brought more riots more looting, more burning I, I don't agree with the destruction of property to prove a point but the rage is so real that I don't know how it can be contained um but all I really wanted to do was actually share my thoughts about it because, you know, I've gotten one or two messages from a few people of non-color and, you know, apologies and just <sighs> sadness, truthfully, from them and um, embarrassment also. There's been embarrassment. That's been one that I'm like, I'm glad. You should be. Um, but... Um, I thought of the last school field trip, oh god, I can't wait to say that again, the last school field trip that I chaperoned for my, at that time, third grade daughter. Um, it was to Monticello, which for you that don't know, Monticello is the home of Thomas Jefferson, out near Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, beautiful plantation great piece of property um and trying to get into Monticello we our tour wasn't ready we were early so they escorted us to the slave burial grounds to which I immediately chuckled because I thought to myself I don't think it's gonna be much of a burial ground I'm pretty sure it's just gonna be like a spot of dirt I was right it's a you know small Hempton area with some dirt and a few random rocks. There are no headstones, no nothing, because we're talking about slaves, right? And the kids, of course, third graders, sweet little third graders, I would say 
we got about 25% that are children of various colors. And then non-colors are the other. I hear three children say, Well, what is a slave? And I had to scoop my mouth up. Because third grade's like a real far way to go in education and in life and actually have missed and not been told or educated about this huge part of not only American history, slaves built the damn world, not just America. Okay, so like who it, 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 it shocked me because it's like, are you are they skipping over it in school? Because I'm like, wait, you go to the same school. My kid knows what it is, but I also talk to my kids about things. And I'm going to get back to that point, that talking to your kids about things. So I pick my mouth up, continue on the tour. We finally get in. You start going through his house, talking about his inventions. But you know, he made a lot of inventions. He did a lot of great things. Thomas Jefferson's awesome. Yeah, great. Anywho, his bedroom. We get to his bedroom. Which everyone knows the stories of Sally and how he found companionship in Sally and other slaves. His wife died early and he never remarried. That doesn't mean he didn't love again. But the story goes that so that she wouldn't be seen in his room. She would go into his room and he was not there before or after dinner. I don't know the specifics of a booty call, but you know, you like get in the room. And the story goes, she would enter the closet that had a stairwell, climb up above into this loft area, and that's where she would sleep and wait, and then nobody would ever see her coming in and out of his room with her or any of his companions be seen as such. Now, this is a very well-documented fact, story, it's not a legend, there's DNA to prove this, okay? Yet, we get in this room and I am waiting, as is the other black female mother chaperone. And do you know what we are told? Because you can see it, you see his bed, and then you see this loft area that has holes cut out. She says, and he was so ahead of his time that he thought to rotate his clothes so he would put his winter clothes up there in the summertime and his summer clothes up there in the wintertime. And he put holes there so the clothes would stay aerated and, and they would stay good for when he needed them again and he wouldn't have to wash. He could just go right into wearing them. Yeah. That's what she said. He was the first person to figure out that you should rotate your seasonal clothes. Now, if you live in Virginia, if you're born and raised in Virginia, you know this. Our seasons change every hour. You never pack your clothes away because you never know when you're going to need a hoodie and you never know where you're going to have to take that hoodie off and put a tank top in because the humidity rolled in. So, But my real point is this. If we want things to change, if we want things to get better, then teach your kids unapologetically.
teach your kids. Put them in front of that screen and make them watch that lynching. Because that's what it was. You make them watch it and you tell them how wrong it is. And you tell them how long it has been going on. And if you think that being straightforward with them will be too much for them to handle, that it will scare them, because and you don't want your child to have fear, well, that is the fear that black men are being raised with from the minute they are old enough to walk out of their mama's hands. Think about that. Teach them. Don't make up stories about clothes rotating. Don't think that a third grader doesn't understand the reality of saying one person is less than another. They get it. They know. And don't leave it up to the school system to teach them either. Because there are counties out there that just don't teach the truth at all if they're going to teach anything. And we know that. And if you live in one, you have triple duty to teach your kids and tell them. Make them see. Make them feel how wrong it is. So that they can grow up and actually do something. Because those we have in power now aren't going to do a damn thing. Because the ones in power before them didn't do a damn thing. And before them. They only do as much as they need to to uh, ebb the fire, push it down a little bit. Then the sparks come back up. They always do. So if we want it to stop, teach your kids. Tell your kids. Driving by four policemen the other day talking to a obviously mentally disturbed woman of non-color. My 12-year-old said, wow, this cop seemed very calm and nice. I wonder if they'd be that nice if it was a black man. She's 12. I trust her to make this better. en la locura de la garganta del sinsonte si no creyera que en el monte se esconde el trino y la pavura si no creyera en la balanza en la razón del equilibrio Si no creyera en el delirio, si no creyera en la esperanza, si no creyera en lo que agencio, si no creyera en mi camino, si no creyera en mi sonido, si no creyera en mi silencio. Qué cosa fuera, qué cosa fuera la masa sin cantera, un amasijo hecho de cuerdas y tendones, 
Sin mejores pretensiones De lucecitas montadas parecer Qué cosa fuera corazón, qué cosa fuera Qué cosa fuera la masa sin cantera Un testaferro del traidor de los aplausos Un servidor de pasado en copa nueva Un eternizador de dioses del ocaso Júbilo hervido con trapo y lentejuela Qué cosa fuera corazón, qué cosa fuera Qué cosa fuera amasa sin cantera Si no creyera en lo más duro Si no creyera en el deseo si no creyera en lo que creo, si no creyera en algo puro, si no creyera en cada herida, si no creyera en lo que rompe, si no creyera en lo que esconde, hacerse hermano de la vida. Si no creyera en quien me escucha, si no creyera en lo que duele, si no creyera en lo que quede, si no creyera en lo que lucha, ¡ay! qué cosa fuera, qué cosa fuera la masa sin cantera, un amasijo hecho de cuerdas y tendones. Un revoltijo de carne con madera Un instrumento sin mejores pretensiones De lucecitas montadas para escena Qué cosa fuera corazón, qué cosa fuera Qué cosa fuera la masa sin cantera But I think we are witnessing America as a failed social experiment. And what I mean by that is that the history of black people for over 200 and some years in, in, in America has been looking at America's failure. Its capitalist economy could not generate and deliver in such a way that people could live lives of decency. Ojalá que las hojas no te toquen el cuerpo cuando caigan para que no las puedas convertir en cristal ojalá que la lluvia deje de ser milagro que baja por tu cuerpo ojalá que la luna pueda salir sin ti ojalá que la tierra no te bese los pasos Ojalá se te acabe la mirada constante, la palabra precisa, la sonrisa perfecta. Ojalá pase algo que te borre de pronto, una luz cegadora, un disparo de nieve. Ojalá por lo menos que me lleve la muerte, para no verte tanto, para no verte siempre, en todos los segundos. 
en todas las visiones ojalá que no pueda tocarte ni en canciones ojalá que la aurora no dé gritos que caigan en mi espalda ojalá que tu nombre se le olvide a esa voz Ojalá las paredes No retengan tu ruido de camino cansado Ojalá que el deseo Se vaya atrás de ti A tu viejo gobierno De difuntos y flores Ojalá se te acabe la mirada constante, la palabra precisa, la sonrisa perfecta. Ojalá pase algo que te borra de pronto, una luz cegadora, un disparo de nieve. Ojalá por lo menos que me lleve la muerte, para no verte tanto, para no verte siempre. En todos los segundos, en todas las visiones, ojalá que no pueda. Tocarte ni en canciones, ojalá pase algo que te borre de pronto, una luz cegadora, un disparo de nieve, ojalá por lo menos que me lleve la muerte, para no verte tanto, para no verte siempre, en todos los segundos, en todas las visiones, ojalá que no pueda. Tocarte ni en canciones The real violence is in genocide, is in slavery, is in the rape of black women and girls it is in the forced labor it is in mass incarceration it is in the you know forced removal of language and history and culture um, it is in mass unemployment it is in workplace discrimination it is in sexual violence day in and day out it is in our elementary schools, our high schools, the way in which our children are pulled out of class and put directly into prison. That is violence. And it is a violence that exists every single day. It's a violence that this country is steeped in. And yet we only talk about violence when material possessions of white people are harmed. Suddenly that becomes the violence that takes precedence. And I was talking with my son about this yesterday. You know, he's 12, and we are a peaceful household. We are a non-violent household. And so it was, my son wanted me to renounce, to reject the looting, the fires, the broken windows, and I could not. And he really wanted me to because he wanted, you know, Children want the rules to be firm. You know, they want to understand what is good, what is bad. 
and you know, I was explaining that I never ever wanted him to be burning down a building. I didn't want him to think that this sort of action was what he needed to do. I didn't want to see that for him. But I needed him to understand the path and the journey that gets to this place. I wanted him to see the connection that part of why the system of race exists in this country is because this country has always valued material possessions, has always valued capitalism and wealth more than black and indigenous lives. That is why this system exists. It exists because they decided that we could be used as cattle, we could be used as free labor in order to gain material possessions, in order to gain wealth and power. We have always been seen as less valuable than possessions. So when you try everything else, when you challenge the systems, when you try the lawsuits, when you try the peaceful protests, when you try writing letters, when you try being nice and kind and sweet, when you try begging and you try it over and over and over again, what leverage does a black person have in this country at that point? And it should not be a stretch to see with any level of empathy why Someone would say, well then, let me come for your possessions. It is obvious my life is not what matters. But this obviously does. And it's true. The, I do not believe that the officer who killed George Floyd would be arrested had the protests not escalated to the level that they did. And I say that because we have evidence of Brutality after brutality after brutality. Where as long as people could avoid any sort of accountability, they did. Our pain, our outcry, our heartache, our fear, our humanity was not and has never been enough. It has never been enough, never has white supremacy sat with itself and said, you know, we went too far on its own. And when we talk about violence, to me, the real violence is the fact that the only way that we are listened to is when we come for objects, when we inconvenience someone's day, when we're blocking traffic. That's violence to me. The violence to me is that that's the only time that we matter. It is violent to me as well that we can only discuss these issues when there is a body in the street. You know, what's really interesting about what's happening in America right now is that a lot of people don't seem to realize how dominoes connect, how one piece knocks another piece that knocks another piece, and in the end creates a giant wave. Each story seems completely unrelated, and yet at the same time, I feel like everything that happens in the world connects to something else in some way, shape, or form. 
And I think this news, this news cycle that we witnessed in the last week was a perfect example of that. Amy Cooper, George Floyd, and you know the people of Minneapolis. Amy Cooper was, for many people, I think, the catalyst. And by the way, I should mention that all of this is like against the backdrop of coronavirus, you know? People stuck in their houses for one of the longest periods we can remember. People losing more jobs than every, anyone can ever remember. Um, people struggling to make do more than they can ever remember. And I think all of that compounded by the fact that there seems to be no genuine plan from leadership. Like, no one knows what's going to happen. You know, no one knows how long they're supposed to be good, how long they're supposed to stay inside, how long they're supposed to flatten the curb. No one knows any of these things. And so what happens is you have a group of people who are stuck inside, all of us as society, we're stuck inside. And we then start to consume. We see what's happening in, in the world. And I think Amy Cooper was one of the first moments that, that you know, one of the first dominoes that, that, that we saw get knocked down post-corona for many people. And that was a world where you quickly realize that while everyone is facing the battle against coronavirus, black people in America are still facing the battle against racism and coronavirus. And the reason I say it's a domino is because think about how many black Americans just have read and seen the news of how black people are disproportionately affected by coronavirus. And not because of something inherently inside black people, but rather because of the lives black people have lived in America for so long. You know, coronavirus exposed all of it. And now here you have this woman We've all seen the video now. Blatantly, blatantly knew how to use the power of, of, of her whiteness to threaten the life of another man and his blackness. What we saw with her was a really, really powerful, explicit example of, of an understanding of racism in a structural way. When she looked, when she looked at, 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 at that man, when she looked at Cooper and she said to him, I'm going to call 911 and I'm going to tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. She knew how powerful that was. And that in itself is telling. You know, it tells you how she perceives the police. It tells you how she perceives her perception or her relationship with the police as a white woman. It shows you how she perceives a black man's relationship with the police and the police's relationship with him. It's, it was... It was really, it was, it was, it was powerful. Because so many people act like they don't know what, what, what black Americans are talking about when they said, and yet Amy Cooper had a distinct understanding. She was like, oh, I know. I know that you're, you're afraid of in interacting with the police because there is a presumption of your guilt because of your blackness.
I know that as a white woman, I can weaponize this tool against you. And I know that by the time we've sifted through who was right or wrong, there's a good chance that you will have lost in some way, shape or form. And so for me, that was, that was the first domino. And so now you, you're living in a world where so many people are watching this video. So many people are being triggered because in many ways it was like a, it was like a gotcha. You know, it was like a, it was like, it was like the curtain had been pulled back. Aha. So you do this because it's always been spoken about, but this was like, it was powerful to see it being used. And I think a lot of people were triggered by that. A lot of people, a lot of people were like, damn, we, we knew it was real, but this is like real, real, you know? I think a lot of people were also angry that some of the outrage that came to her was because of her dog. Uh, and I mean, I get it. A lot of people felt like it would have been great if the dog shelters had the same, I guess, power or, or, or if police departments were run by the people who run dog shelters because they seemed to act like this. They didn't waste time. They were like, nope, we'd like our dog back, lady. Which I'm going to be honest, I think was, that was, a, that was a, I mean, that was a hell of a punishment. Her job is one thing, taking a white lady's dog. That was a nice dog. And so that was the first domino, you know? It was the first domino where I felt like y you could feel something stirring. And all of this, again, is in the backdrop. backdrop. It's, it's coronavirus has happened. The numbers have come out. You know, the story of Ahmad Arbery in Georgia. That story has come out. All of these things are happening. And then the video of George Floyd comes out. And I don't know what made that video more painful for people to watch. The fact that that man was having his life taken in front of our eyes. The fact that we're watching someone being murdered by someone whose job is to protect and serve. Or the fact that he seemed so calm doing it, you know? Oftentimes we always told that police feared for their life. It was like a threat. And, and you know, you, you, you always feel like an asshole when, when you're like, you didn't fear for your life. How, why did you fear for your life? How did you fear? But now more and more we're starting to see that it's like, no, it doesn't seem like there's a fear. It just seems like it's, you can do it so you did it. There was a black man on the ground in handcuffs and you, you could take his life so you did almost knowing that there would be no ramifications. And then again, everyone on the internet has to watch this. Everyone sees it. It's, it floods our timelines as people. And I think one ray of sunshine for me in that moment was seeing how many people instantly condemned what they saw, you know? And maybe it's because I'm an optimistic person, but I, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that, especially not in America. I haven't seen a police video come out and and just see across the board. I mean, even Fox News commentators and, and police chiefs from around the country immediately condemning what they saw. No questions, not what was he doing, not just going, no, this, what happened here was wrong. It was wrong, this person got murdered on camera. And then the police were fired, great. But I, I think what people take for granted is, is how much for so many people that feels like nothing, you know? How, how, how many of us as, as human beings can take the life of another human being and then have firing be the worst thing that happens to us. And yes, we don't know where the case will go, don't get me wrong, but it just, it, it feels like there is no moment of justice. There is no, you know, if you're watching a movie, you'd at least want the cops, you'd want to see the perpetrators in handcuffs. You'd want to see the perpetrators facing some sort of justice. Yes, they might come out on bail, etc. but I think there's a lot of catharsis that comes with seeing that justice being doled out. When the riots happened, that for me was an interesting culmination of everything. I saw so many people online saying, these riots are disgusting. This is not how a society should be run. You do not loot and you do not burn and you do not, this is not how our society is built. 
And that, that actually triggered something in me where I was like, man, okay, society. What, but what is society? And fundamentally, when you boil it down, society is a contract. It's a contract that we sign as human beings amongst each other. We sign a contract with each other as people, whether it's spoken or unspoken, and we say, amongst this group of us, we agree in common rules, common ideals, and common practices that are going to define us as a group. That's what I think a society is. It's a contract. And as with most contracts, the contract is only as strong as the people who are, who are abiding by it. But if you think of being a black person in America who is living in Minneapolis or Minnesota or any place where you're not having a good time, ask yourself this question when you watch those people, what vested interest do they have in maintaining the contract? Like, why don't we all do it? Why, why, don't, why doesn't everybody take? Why don't, because we've agreed on things. There are so many people who are starving out there. There's so many people who don't have. There's so many people. There are people who are destitute. There are people who, when the virus hits and they don't have a second paycheck already broke, which is insane, but that's, that's the reality. But still, think about how many people who don't have, the have-nots, say, you know what? I'm still going to play by the rules, even though I have nothing, because I still wish for the society to work and exist. And then some members of that society, namely black American people, watch time and time again how the contract that they have signed with society is not being honored by the society that has forced them to sign it with them. When you watch Ahmad Arbery being shot, 
and you hear that those men have been released and were it not for the video and the outrage, those people would be living their lives. What part of the contract is that in society? When, when you see George Floyd on the ground and you see a man losing his life in a way that no person should ever have to lose their life, at the hands of someone who's supposed to enforce the law, what part of the contract is that? And a lot of people say, well, what good does this do? Yeah, but what, what good doesn't it do? That's the question people don't ask the other way around. What good does it do to loot Target? What is it, how does it help you to loot Target? Yeah, but how does it help you to not loot Target? Answer that question. Because the only reason you didn't loot Target before was because you were upholding society's contract. There is no contract if law and people in power don't uphold their end of it. And that's the thing I think people don't understand sometimes, is that, is that we need people at the top to be the most accountable because they are the ones who are basically setting the tone and the tenor for everything that we do in society. It's the same way we tell parents to set an example for their kids. The same way we tell captains or coaches to set an example for their players. The same way you tell teachers to set an example for their students. The reason we do that is because we understand in society that if you lead by example, there is a good chance that people will follow that example that you have set. And so if the example law enforcement is setting is that they do not adhere to the laws, then why should the citizens of that society adhere to the laws when in fact the law enforces themselves don't? It is safe to say in this one week alone, and maybe even from the beginning of coronavirus really blowing out in America, black Americans have seen their principles completely delegitimized. Because if you're a black person in America right now and you're watching this, if you're a black American person specifically and you're watching this, what principles are you seeing? I think sometimes the thing we need to remember, when you are a have and when you are a have not, you see the world in very different ways. And a lot of the time people say to the have nots, this is not the right way to handle things. When Colin Kaepernick kneels, they say this is not the right way to protest. When Martin Luther King had children as part of his protest in Birmingham, Alabama, people said having children as your protest is not the right way to do things. When he marched in Selma, people said this is not the right way to do things. When people marched through the streets in South Africa during apartheid, they said this is not the right way to do things. When people burn things, they say it's not the It's never the right way because there's never, there is never a right way to protest. And I've said this before, there is no right way to protest because that's what protest is. It cannot be right because you are protesting against a thing that is stopping you. And so I think what a lot of people don't realize is the same way you might have experienced even more anger and, and more just visceral disdain watching those people loot that target, think to yourselves, or maybe it would help you if you, if you think about that, that, that unease that you felt watching that target being looted. Try to imagine how it must feel for black Americans when they watch themselves being looted every single day. Because that's fundamentally what's happening in America. Police in America are looting black bodies. And I know someone might think that's an extreme phrase, but it's not, because here's the thing I think a lot of people don't realize. George Floyd died. That is part of the reason the story became so big, because he died. But how many George Floyds are there that don't die? How many men are having knees put on their necks? How many Sandra Blands are out there being tossed around? We don't, we don't, it doesn't make the news because it's, it's not grim enough. It doesn't even get us enough anymore. It's only the deaths, the gruesome deaths that stick out. But imagine to yourself, if you grew up in a community where every day someone had their, 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 their knee on your neck, where every day somebody was out there oppressing you every single day, 
You tell me what that does to you as a society, as a community, as a group of people. And when you know that this is happening because of the color of your skin, not because the people are saying it's happening because of the color of your skin, but rather because it's only happening to you and you're the only people who have that skin color. And I know there's people who say, yeah, but like, well, how come black, black people don't care when black people kill? But man, that's one of the dumbest arguments ever. Of course they care. If you've ever been to a hood anywhere, not just in America, but anywhere in the world, you'd know how much black people care about that. If you know anything about under-policing and over-policing, though, you would understand how that comes to be. The police show black people how valuable their lives are considered by the society. And so then those people who live in those communities know how to or not deal with those lives. Because best believe, if you kill a white person, especially in America, there is a whole lot more justice than is coming your way than if you killed some black body in a black neighborhood somewhere. And so to anyone who watched that video, don't, don't ask yourself if it's right or wrong to loot. Or to, don't ask yourself, wow, what does looting help? What? No, no, no. Ask yourself, that, ask yourself that question. Ask yourself why it got you that much more watching, watching these people loot because they were destroying the contract that you thought they had signed with your society. And now think to yourself, imagine if you were them watching that contract being ripped up every single day. Ask yourself how you'd feel. Your name is Big Brother You say that you are Jimmy Thank <laughs> you. 
My name is secluded We live in a house the size of a matchbox Roaches live with us wall to wall You've killed all our leaders I don't even have to do nothing to you Cause your own country to fall Radio Free Brooklyn stands in solidarity with the families of George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, Eric Garner, Eleanor Bumpers, Michael Griffith, Sandra Bland, Sean Bell, Amadou Diallo, Atatiana Jefferson, Akai Gurley, and the countless others whose lives were cut short due to police violence. Centuries of systematic racism, oppression, fear, and hatred based on the color of their skin. Systems that marginalize and oppress cannot continue to stand if we are to progress as a society and as a nation. As New Yorkers, we understand and share the grief of Minneapolis and cities nationwide who have suffered violence at the hands of those sworn to protect them. Enough is enough. We support our African-American hosts, volunteers, family, friends, and community as a whole. We hear you. We're here for you. We stand firm and unwavering when we say Black Lives Matter. <laughs> 